1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothcuff coming to you live from the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark here in Washington, D.C. Also joining us from different locations within Washington, D.C. and by extension, the virtual Ministry of Snark. Rosa Brooks at Georgetown Law School, Evelyn Farkas in Cleveland Park. I don't know what she's doing, sitting in someone's backyard. Doing their lawns, something like that. And 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 and, and Ed Luce at Ed, Ed Luce's small castle that looks exactly like Windsor Castle in the middle of Washington, D.C.'s northwest, um, where he had their group of people, beef eaters, that whole thing going on, and he is sitting there in his bowler hat. And with all the people with bowler hats, Actually, in England, where it's cold and dank (laughs) and falling apart, Um, Corey Corey Shockey of double I double S. Guys, today there was a breakthrough, the biggest trade deal in the history of the world, the biggest trade deal ever done by anybody, A, a brilliant um innovation on 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 and and uh, uh, overcoming all the errors of every other president and every other world leader until this moment because donald trump unveiled the asmaka
2: Usmaka, thank you. <laughs> I'm so right. Everyone else is getting it wrong, but you got it right.
1: No, uh, I um, knew okay. that. I knew that Rosa would want it to be the usmaka. Uh, um, wait
0: a and, minute. Uh, the Marine Corps is now doing trade Yeah, policies?
1: they yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, well, they 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 might have been. You could have a bunch of squirrels doing it, and it would end up better than this deal. But in any event, we got this fantastic new deal. In which, get this, Ed, we'll start with you. The United States. Is going to open up trade with Canada and Mexico, both in the same Woo-hoo! deal. Okay, this is this is new and and different and better than that other NAFTA thing. Cause um, why? <laughs>
3: um- It's it's uh, not not better than the other NAFTA thing in terms of the um, trade arrangements or in terms of the trade technicalities of this agreement. It is better for Trump politically because he can rebrand it as the U.S. Marines Corps of a Um, and. um, No, no. On this
1: on this show (laughs) and forever forward, we will refer to it as ASMAKA.
3: Usmaka, yeah, not not the usmuka, That's right, Ed? It's no, usmaka with a short up. But, okay, got it, got it. Us, I, I, it's
2: sort of like us muck it up. That's how you can remember it, it, like it up. up.
3: <laughs> okay, I got it. That helps. Usmukka. As as a good as a good English-born person, I I have trouble with pronunciations of foreign languages. So now I've got it. <laughs> um It's I, I mean it's not a good trade deal. It's actually a particularly bad trade deal for Mexico because they have signed up to this, well, the departing uh, government, of um, president of Mexico has um, signed up to this deal um, that the new president, Obrador, has signaled he will accept of $16 an hour um, wages for manufacturing, which means that jobs will disappear um, from um, Mexican manufacturing sector. Um, uh, but they won't be uh, magically reappearing north of the border. Um, it will just accelerate the process of automation. So, you know, it, it might, there might there might be some sort of upside in terms of companies that are seeking to reduce labor across the North American region, um, but it's not going to do what Trump will probably successfully with parts of the electorate in the build-up to the midterms um, sell it as, which is create manufacturing jobs um, in in the United States, uh, for Canada, it's a victory because our expectations have been lowered so much that simply staying in a deal that involves the um, pop artist formerly known as NAFTA members of Mexico, the United States and Canada is considered a victory nowadays. And Christian Freeland, you know, and, and Justin Trudeau uh, have won some political plaudits in Canada for not being trumped. Um, but uh, as as regards the logic of this deal, uh, it makes no sense on trade terms. Uh, but it's a political sellable deal uh, and a rebrandable um, moment for, for Donald Trump. It's it's it's, uh, it's galling to watch, and and it probably will work with a lot of people.
1: Anybody here does it work with anybody else on this podcast?
0: So I'm willing to say lots in favor of it, which is uh, that I see, especially to you, David Rofkoff, who actually worked in the Commerce Department and knows a lot about trade and trade agreements, I, I will agree that it may be a diminution from the prior deal. It certainly diminishes American standing in the world and American foreign policy that we can't seem to get along with the two best neighbors any country has ever been fortunate enough to have. But I am in favor of it, and I'm prepared to change its ungainly name from Asmaka to, you know, Trump extraordinaire, and uh, expand it to the Trump trade deal, uh, as Richard Haass pointed out, that we ought to be calling even TPP, anything Trump wants it, in order to get any trade agreements moving in this administration, because Amen. the risk of a catastrophic failure of of a return to kind of Smoot-Hawley 1930s attitudes is even still worse than the bad news that this, of Trump being such a bully towards our good neighbors.
1: You know, I have to say something. First of all, it was very nice for you to say that I was once a trade official, although in Washington, that's not really a compliment, but I'll take it as a compliment um, because, you know, it acknowledged that. But at the same time, those of you who are out there listening don't really realize that one of the little things that keeps us amused while we're recording these episodes is that we're all in different places some of the time. And we watch in real time as our colleagues on this show are tweeting stuff out during the show. And so even though Corey gives me this little tip of the hat, does she tweet my article in the Daily Beast out? Oh, no. Oh, no, she's tweeting out Richard Haas' little 280-word tweet about the um, trade agreement formerly known as NAFTA, a joke Ed made already three minutes
3: ago. Okay. I have not seen any Richard Haas tweets. I, I'm, not, just because, what do I add, I'm not plagiarizing tweets as we speak.
0: David, I I bow my apologies that I did not tweet out your article i'm doing it right now
1: yeah get out there folks trumped up (laughs) nafta potus wins a few modest i'm not going to read my thoughts and by the way what this thing's going to be on the air starting like wednesday night unless you're a member in which case you can be listening to it as soon as everything else posts this week wouldn't that be a great thing if you were a member and you joined up and signed uh, up and helped us but on the other hand some of you'll be listening to this three days later if you haven't read it yet go to the daily beast it'll still be there
2: well, David, I'm going to find oh. it. I'm going to tweet it out. And oh, I'm going to tweet it out multiple times just to irritate my followers. Um, but it's That's... so good people should read it
0: multiple times. <laughs> have you Have you read it yet, Rosa? <laughs> well, no, but I'm, no. I <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. I feel total
2: confidence in saying that. I, I actually, I mean, this is the the us mucca is a great big nothing burger Um on the whole, that being said, it's it's not as horrifically awful as it might have been. So I'm going to seize the the uh, tiara of optimism and say it could have been worse. And in fact, it's got a few good things like enhanced uh, labor rights protections, which could have knocked me over with a feather. Um, so so. Yeah. Let's but be, but be let's grateful. talk about
1: those. Are they really that good?
2: They're not what that are, good. No, but
1: no they're, not, they're, they're
2: not worse. They're no, slightly better. Right. what but they're it,
1: saying. It,
4: it, it, it's. Isn't it like similar to the agreement that was signed on Monday with the South Koreans? You know, it's incrementally better, but it's just yeah. a, like a new version of what we already had. Yeah, which is wow. not, it so is not. It is not a diplomatic
2: Trump. economic triumph for Trump or for the United States. And, um, and by the but, way,
4: Congress still has to agree to this. But I just think, I think we've
2: got to be grateful for 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 small mercies at this point. The Trump administration.
0: I am I absolutely know. with Rosa on this.
1: So, so, so you're letting him get away with it and they're letting him get away with it. (laughs) They're saying, Oh yeah, this is a great,
4: there's still the tariffs on aluminum, right? And steel Um, and steel. steel, And then then we we still have China.
1: Well, we'll get to,
4: but at least we might not be
0: fighting on all fronts simultaneously. Maybe we could actually, you know, come into agreement with our actual friends And then all of us work together to rein in China's violations of the world trading order.
1: Well, you know, Ed, these people are absolutely right. First of all, he didn't fuck it up completely. It actually, the deal, there is a deal. There's still a NAFTA. Hey, that's pretty good. And... Um, most of it looks exactly like the old NAFTA. The parts that don't look like the old NAFTA actually look like something else, don't they? About a third of it looks like it was cut and paste from TPP, the other worst deal in the history of the century, which he stuck into this. And most of the modernization in this is actually him cribbing from that, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I mean, as as others have suggested, Uh, Renaming TPP Trump Pacific partnership might be all it takes, you know, to get him to get him involved in that. Um, I mean, there are there are bad, worse things that could have happened. Um, In this NAFTA renegotiation, you know, which which is, you know, by today's standards, reasonable. Um, You know, there could have been a a sunset clause every five years mandating renegotiation of the whole thing every five years, which was what terrified Mexico and Canada. Um, There could have been... um, Uh, um, all all kinds of um, exchange rate um, conditions that would have messed up um, uh, companies' incentives to have North America-wide operations. There there, there are a number of things that, you know, trade people are very relieved um, didn't happen. But I think the larger game here is China. And and also
1: just to add to that list, and by the way, before I add to that list, let me congratulate you, Adloose, on being the first of the three of you to retweet my article. Uh, You got to it before... Oh, it, it. It. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, my now, God. Well,
1: I better get
3: moving here. Well, Fast, well fastest tweet in the, tweeter in the West. Yeah. But
1: beyond the sunset provision, which fortunately they did not put in there, they actually kept dispute resolution, which was something else yeah. that, the, you know, so there, there are a bunch of things that, that by not cutting it, they didn't make it as bad as they intended to.
3: No, they didn't. I mean, the reason why I sort of focus, uh, pivot here to the larger picture is the larger picture is China. Um, you know, the um, dispute with Canada was a distraction. Uh, I think there is, you know, personal animus between Trudeau and Trump, and you know, Trump. Trump's going to say that Canada swallowed our, was swallowed what we we asked it to swallow, but uh, in 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 reality, keeping the disputes. Um, resolution mechanism means that Canada basically basically got what it wanted. It was it was a hassle. It was a lot of fuss over relatively little, um, but it, it locks down the home base to sort of focus on the um, pivot to China, and that's the sort of larger trade um, trade yeah. situation here. And I think that the difference between that and this squabble with Canada. Um, is that all parts of the administration are aligned on the, on the China sort of hawkish front. Um, and, and that's the larger, the, that's, this, is, this is a battle uh, that Trump will claim he won, but this is the larger war. And, and that, I think, is a far more ominous sort of uh, sheen to NAFTA 2.0 um, uh, than, than simply looking at what little um, contents, um, uh, you know, um, it has.
1: Well, Rosa, th- I mean, it's already had an effect. I mean, interestingly enough, per Ed's point, the same day that this happened, um, uh, Secretary of Defense, by the way, Corey, listen carefully, Secretary of Defense, not General Mattis. Um, Thank you, David. It's OK. I just wanted to know we, uh, we're, we have a really, really good sieve uh, mill hygiene here. Um, but uh, the... Uh, 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 Sec- Secretary of Defense Mattis was supposed to have some meetings with the Chinese, and the Chinese canceled the yeah, meetings. Yeah, got
2: uninvited, poor
1: b- fellow. B- because they didn't want to meet with him because the U.S. relationship with China had gotten to be that bad. And of course, the central irritant in it um, is the ratcheting up trade war with China. So, well, you know, yeah. is this is this simply cover for that?
2: No, I, I don't think it's particularly cover for that. I, I i I don't think they're that clever to have you know the timing the timing was too fortuitous in various other ways. but but um it is clear that there is a real cost to u s. Uh, trade war with China, not just economic, but in terms of uh, broader relations between the two states. And what I worry about most. Um, is not so much the economic impact uh, on the United States and, and for that matter, on uh, the economies of other states around the globe. Although that's that's plenty to worry about, I worry about the ways in which this spills over into into potential military tensions and possible unintentional escalation. You know, that the the increased tensions between the U.S. and China um, are. You know, playing out also in terms of U.S. military exercises, Chinese actions in the South China Sea. Um, the U.S. is doing has been doing live fire exercises. The U.S. Navy uh, just off the coast of some of the disputed uh, reefs and shoals and so-called islands that the Chinese are claiming uh, belong to them. And the, the danger there is that whenever you get that kind of increased tension and you have more military exercises, just the possibility of an unintended uh, uh, conflagration goes up dramatically. You know, the, the possibility that somebody, somebody low level in one of the two navies misconstrues an action uh, and that we end up slipping into some kind of more direct confrontation. You know, I think obviously... I don't think that that's something that either the Chinese government or the US government wants at all. But the possible, the the risk of unintended, unplanned escalation just goes up dramatically. And I think at the moment, that's one of the most sort of dangerous, you know, Syria, uh, the area around the Syria and the area in the South China Sea are among the, the sort of two two parts of the world right now where the I think the risk of unintended escalation into a major power conflict are highest.
1: Don't leave out the Persian Gulf and Yemen.
2: Don't leave. Okay, absolutely. Let's add them in, too.
1: I think we should add them in. Evelyn, did you like the way that Rosa, with real sort of deftness, threw shade on China's possessions in the South China Sea by calling them, uh, you know, sort of uh, what they call islands? Not even that they're actually.
4: (laughs) Yes, I liked it very much. I, um, I was applauding in my in, Island in the of my heart and soul.
1: Yeah, no, it was because it was, of
4: course. Yeah, I, you know, I, I met with the Japanese once a couple of years ago, and I, I I turned to one of the these retired navy guys, and I said, Do you think we could figure out how to create a fake tsunami? You know, just to get rid of this problem. Oh but my God. um, you know, some something that would uh, provide plausible deniability because yes, they I mean there were rocks in the middle of the ocean and they essentially created uh, islands around them. You
2: just you Wait. just gotta put a couple of deck chairs up on the rock and you're you're good. But Wait then, a and sec-
4: no, they put worse things than deck chairs. They put bases and then they and then they stationed military weapons on these uh on these islands, so now they have kind of anti-access. Would it be possible for us to put Donald Trump on one of,
2: one of sort of an uninhabited Chinese island and just leave him there as a solitary outpost to the United States? Would that work?
1: It's a nice idea, but you know something? You guys are underestimating the genius of Donald Trump.
4: He'd be like he, Napoleon. He'd find his way back. No, no, it's not that. Donald Trump,
1: <laughs> by making global warming worse... And increasing sea levels is submerging those islands, and he will ultimately defeat the evil Chinese.
4: That is so clever. I I totally underestimated him. Yeah, though I have a feeling the Chinese factored that in.
1: His his strategic, yeah, they're like a pile of rocks. On yeah. the island so that something shows but, itself up Maybe
4: we should have the poor Fijians, you know, pull up, you know, the Marshall Island residents pull up to those islands and see if they can try to occupy them. Just well, kidding. Well,
1: Ed, Ed, <laughs> Ed you and, and Corey both, you know, represent... Yeah, rest- Think,
4: um, Evelyn, stop giving
0: them ideas. <laughs> yeah, but well, you
1: guys represent the continental flip side of this story, because even as Trump was celebrating himself for his genius of renaming NAFTA USMCA, um he... Um, you know, made some threats. One, it's against the Chinese. You know, he, he's now said that Xi Jinping is not necessarily his friend. But the other was against the Europeans and was saying that they've been really, really nasty to us and that he would impose a 25 percent car tariff. And he's still seriously thinking about that. Um, and of course, of all the things the Europeans are worried about at the moment, that's right front of mind, especially for the Germans. The idea that Trump might Actually, do it. Let me start with that. What do you think will happen there?
3: Well, I mean, the, the last um, averted trade disaster before this week's NAFTA 2.0 was the when Jean Claude Juncker, um, the European Commission's president, came over in July and managed to avert the auto tariffs and and produce a deal. Um, you know, again, there was nothing much to it, except that the worst didn't happen. Um, and they, they pledged to, you know, go for a zero-tariff uh, Atlantic, you know, fantasy land, which is never going to happen. Um, and there, there just simply isn't the political will on either side. But it sounded good, and it was a hell of a lot better than than what went before. But the irritation that Trump has, um, with, with Europe is deep. Um, and the, um, uh, the sense that he has, which isn't completely invented, you know, that there are certain non-tariff barriers and tariff barriers there that, you know, um, that could be removed, um, is is long running. And I don't think it's I don't think it's something he's ever going to drop. It, you know, Trump's you know, got a very sort of classic pattern there, of he gets talked down from the ledge. Um, but then he just can't help himself, and he gets back on it. So uh, I, I'm not surprised that you know these threats are, are, are resurfacing, um, and I'm not surprised that for Germany they're they're taken very very seriously. You know that the car, the German auto industry, isn't just, you know, uh, the country's <coughs> largest manufacturing industry. It's it's kind of its national identity in in in, in many senses, and. Um, you know, Trump sees a tariff differential there. Of course, he leaves out, um, like trucks, you know, where there is a higher American tariff, but on all other autos, it's um, it's a high European tariff. He sees a differential that no amount of, you know, uh, explaining the larger picture is going to uh, is going to dislodge that that tariff differential. Um, so he's going to keep coming back to it, and that threat will remain real. <coughs>
1: Um, Corey, are you worried that the tension associated with this threat is going to continue to play havoc with transatlantic relations? Or do you think that Pompeo and some others who seem to be placing a little bit more priority on these things may be able to offset that?
0: Uh, I do think the secretaries of state and defense are trying heroically to stabilize uh, the friendships and positive alliance engagements that we have the secretary of defense to a much greater degree than the secretary of state but the damage that the president's threats and bluster and putting allies through all this melodrama does have real consequences as i think we saw at the u.n last week Uh, you know the Iran deal, uh, we couldn't get a single member of the U.N. Security Council to support our position. And one of the things that behaving badly towards the people who actually like you does is make them just sit back and not help you. And what the president and the the national security advisor in particular seem not to understand is that part of the reason— the American-dominated international order is such a good deal for the United States, is that mostly people want us to succeed at what we're trying to do, and they step forward and help us. So they, it, with European allies in particular, they keep asking the wrong question. The question they keep pounding away at is, are they spending enough money? Are they doing enough of what we want? Um, the question they should be asking was, has any dominant power in history ever had this much voluntary cooperation and uh, by countries that could sit back and do less or that could organize against the dominant power? And the answer to that is, no, we've got it incredibly good because our friends and even a lot of people who are so-so about us see our values and see that we voluntarily limit our own power through institutions and common practices and and so they help us or they at least don't resist us and what president trump is putting allies through on trade you know maybe at the end of the day because of the size of the american market they'll be forced into making a deal as canada and mexico did But the next time we actually need their help on anything, they're going to be a lot less likely to help us. And that's a very real cost to the United States, because we spend a lot of our time trying to get other people to help us do stuff that we want to do in the world.
1: Yeah, but part of this seems to me to be psychological, Rosa. I mean, you have on prior episodes um, indicated that you did not believe that the President of the United States had either a heart or a brain. And yet, even despite the absence of these two usually essential organs, he manages to maintain a real, well-developed sense of of paranoia, he thinks everybody is out that to screw because us because
2: he lacks courage as well.
1: Yeah, well, so that brings us back to the Wizard of Oz analogy that you made in the last I um, was podcast. Just thinking
0: about the Wizard <laughs> of Oz analogy,
1: yeah, well, she managed to in two episodes complete all of it: heart, brain, and courage. But having said that, you know, if you think about how Trump has approached all of these things. The Canadians were screwing us. the 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 Mexicans were screwing us. The Europeans are screwing us. The Chinese are screwing us. The Japanese are screwing us. Um, the you know every 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 potential partner in the world has been trying to take advantage of us, um, and I, you know. I, I wonder, can he actually get over that? I mean, is that so ingrained in him that even with these deals? I mean, one of the things I noticed when he was talking about NAFTA was he didn't really sound that keen on Justin Trudeau. Uh, he didn't really remember the name of the incoming, well, actually the existing or the incoming president of Mexico. Um, and, and I think he really doesn't trust anybody who isn't named Trump.
2: No, I think that's I think that's accurate. I, I don't think he will get over this. I, I think that this is something that members of his own uh, cabinet have found that, you know, you can you can f- please Trump temporarily by flattering him and doing what he wants and making him look good. Uh, but Trump is not loyal to uh, either either individuals uh, uh, nor to nations, nor, as we know, of course, just to, to his spouse, um, you know, that this is not a guy for whom loyalty is a virtue. Um, and his, par- his, you know, the combination of his <laughs> fundamental narcissism, uh, his short attention span, um, uh, and his, you know, general lack of moral compass uh, means that the fact that, you know, you're getting along with him now means nothing whatsoever about the future. So, so yeah, I think I think that his paranoia will always take over, it will always, uh, uh, he's ruined the word Trump always and forever, unfortunately, but it will always trump everything else for him.
1: Uh, yeah, he ha- well, he has ruined it, and it has more meanings for the British than, than it does for us, doesn't
3: it, Ed? <laughs> uh, you, you're talking about Trumpton, the, um, um, the children's TV program with well, which I was raised,
1: no, I wasn't or are you talking
3: about the game of cards and you trump people, or oh, no, that's also an American, and I was also
1: talking about the British slang term for farting,
3: which, oh, um, sorry, uh, sorry flatulence. yeah, sure. no, we can talk about that at some length. um but I, 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 thought, you we be, not I,
4: I thought you no, were no, being
3: more esoteric, David. That's why I was sort of reaching for um, you know, some literary reference
1: um yeah, well, the, 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 you know, there is also. I had a friend once who had a Parson Russell Terrier, and I wanted to find out about Parson Russell Terriers. And I went back and I looked up Parson Russell, who bred the first Terriers in England in the 18th century. And the very first Parson Russell Terrier in the 18th century in England was named Trump.
3: Isn't that interesting? That's esoteric. That's a, pretty, wow. that's a pretty good pivot, David. I'm impressed.
1: Yeah, well, that's how, I, that's how I go. Well, let me ask you a question. I'll follow up with uh, Evelyn on the question. One of the other things that Trump said in his rambling speech on NAFTA, and by the way, I don't call it 2.0. I call it 1.1 um, because it's only 10 or 20 percent or different. But but in his rambling speech, which, by the way, became a discussion about the Kavanaugh nomination so that nobody who was watching it will ever remember any of this stuff about NAFTA, particularly, by the way, if they listen to Robert Lighthizer, the USTR, who, as he spoke, my head hit the desk, I fell asleep. And I could only imagine <laughs> what was happening to people in cars, you know, probably careening, <laughs> ca- careening off the highways. But one of the things that... Um, that that Trump said was Japan didn't want to do a deal with us and they didn't until I threatened them but now they want to do a deal with us but am I mistaken or wasn't TPP essentially a big US Japan bilateral deal that there were some other countries in on I mean because it re- it was really you know that was the heart of it right
3: that was absolutely the heart of it um, the um, uh, TPP is uh, you know 11 other countries added on but it is it was a prolonged US Japan negotiation that you know was carried through the Bush and, and Obama administrations. Um so it took several years and it, it dealt with the thorniest, longest term US Japan issues. And once they You know, on agriculture and non tariff barriers and photosanitary standards and so forth. Um, uh, Once that was done, all the others were happy to join with some dots and commas changed, including Canada. Um, It was um, by far the best market access deal um, the Americans have have ever achieved with Japan. Um, It was also geostrategically, um, as you well know, by far the best. benchmark for china to be surrounded with uh, that you know if, if if all the the big economies in the region min- minus india which wasn't ready to to negotiate as part of it. If all the big economies of the region, plus the United States, Canada, and Mexico, could agree this, um, then China would have no choice but to adopt these as as default standards. Um, So, yes, of course, Trump is completely, not, not just sort of wildly misleading. He's 180 degrees wrong on that um but you know i refer to the beginning of this discussion will most people out there know that i don't know the japanese will but but but, but will but will the, will the trumpian base i doubt it
1: well evelyn speaking you know you know through your connection to the network of deep state radio nerds out there who do follow these things closely one of the things that we we still must be left with even if we somehow salvage you know, NAFTA 1.1 or Asmaka out of out of out of this whole thing um, is that we didn't salvage TPP out of it, and a deal with South Korea is not TPP, and a pending deal with Japan is not TPP, and TPP and trade deals generally have a strategic consequence. Right. And, right. And we're going to, you know, you've dealt a lot with security issues in the Asia Pacific region. We're going to miss it, aren't we? Well, I mean, same same with Europe.
4: Right. I don't think you, I mean, you don't, you can, you can have all the bilateral agreements you want, but it's not the same as cobbling uh, and cobble and try to cobble them together. It's not the same as a big agreement that has everyone in it, including, I would note Vietnam, you know, which was a big deal. And, and the Obama folks had to work pretty hard to get Vietnam in there as well. And, and I think for, for Prime Minister Abe was a pretty big concession. I mean, he really was first, obviously holding out for, T- he wanted TPP. He was the the most public proponent. He staked a lot domestically on getting it passed. Um, he tried very hard under Obama. It didn't work. And then he started off thinking maybe he could somehow convince the Trump administration and then waited until now to, you know, cave. I don't know whether Trump, Trump actually threatened him or not. What we hear, of course, is that when Trump is one-on-one with these leaders, he doesn't threaten them. So it's doubtful that he really threatened him, but but obviously Abe felt, well, he, he has no other option right now but to try to do something bilaterally. But it is a loss, and it's a, it's a lost opportunity to, again, show unity vis-a-vis China, because all of these piecemeal agreements, again, are not the same as having a united front with our allies. Yes, it's great that we seem to have decided, meaning our, our president decided we don't have a problem with the EU after that one meeting that Ed referenced earlier, and yes, now I suppose we've resolved our issues with our friendly neighbors and, and the South Koreans. And so, you know, once we're done having fights with our allies, then we'll turn around and deal with China. I, I think there's a lot of risk involved in that, but that's where we are.
1: Well, I bet you're feeling pretty darn satisfied with yourself, aren't you, Corey? Because even though you love America and are deeply patriotic... You have managed to sidestep this whole set of discussions in the United States of America, this whole insane meltdown on trade. And yet I would point out that if at the end of this year, right, if we get to the end of this year, it may well be that the United Kingdom still holds the crown for the absolute stupidest trade move of the past maybe 50 years. And it looks like it's rolling forward. And I just thought, while we're talking about this stuff, you might want to offer a comment on that.
0: Oh, indeed. I would like to offer the breaking news update that the foreign minister of of Her Majesty's United Kingdom uh, gave a speech (laughs) today or yesterday at the Conservative Party conference in which he compared the European Union to Stalin's Warsaw Pact as, as, you know, imposing itself on people. The good news, though, is that um, British Twitter's fabulous, as is British humor. And I love the comparison somebody made by saying, no, mate, it's actually like a hotel, right? When you check out They no longer have any responsibilities for you.
3: (laughs) Well, I can think of saltier, saltier rejoinders, but um, you are, you are. um, (laughs) But
0: I am a prim nineteenth-century woman, so (laughs) thank you for not offering them.
3: Uh, The 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 um, uh, one one EU ambassador in London tweeted um, because Jeremy Hunt was claiming, you know, he was speaking politically to the Conservative Party in Britain. He wasn't speaking outside of Britain. You know, we do understand English. Oh,
1: you gotta love it. You really, you really, you really gotta love it. Um, I have to say, when I was a trade official of the United States a long time ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, and we sort of, thought you know we looked at the progress that had been made over 60 or 70 years and that you know the you know the tariff barriers that were pr- more prevalent in the first part of the 20th century had largely been dismantled and we'd gone through different rounds of trade negotiations through um uh, the different incarnations of the world trade organization and we had um uh, the, the GATT and then the world trade organization and we had you know, made a lot of progress on these deals. The thought that we would reverse direction was uh, unimaginable. Uh, The the idea that we would go back to Smoot-Hawley-like policies in the U.S., the idea that, you know, the unification of Europe would be reversed by something like Brexit was unimaginable. Um, and Rose, I'd like to end up with you as sort of our, you know, uh, conscience here. Because
2: I love the unimaginable.
1: Uh, you bec- right, um, because so much of your life has been the unimaginable. But the the, the 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 there there's a bunch of reasons for this. One of which has to do with the sort of craven, ill-informed, bad politicians of today. But some of it has to do with the fact that people like me and others who are out there selling these global trade policies did a lousy job, didn't really think about the dislocations involved, didn't really think about the impact on average people. It's pretty much your fault. I Well, yeah, and I was going to share it with some others, but if you want to lump it onto me, go (laughs) ahead. (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) I I will assume that responsibility um, because I am the Undersecretary for blame in the Ministry of SNARK. Um, But, uh, you know, I just... I I think it's an interesting point that we've reached here because so many things that we thought were going irreversibly forward seem to be in reverse.
4: Yep.
2: Well, that's what happens. Uh, That's what history suggests is that just when you think everything is great, things go south really fast. No. And, and I think it's, it's, I think that those of us who were, who were born in the second half of the 20th century, Uh, grew up with this somewhat bizarrely unrealistic uh, notion which is that that you know human progress was a sort of unending forward march, and I think we Americans are particularly susceptible to that. As a relatively new country, uh, we hadn't had time to experience cycles of rising and falling in the past as a as a nation. Um, you know, and the, we were the the you know children of the post World War II era of American dominance, and and uh, in the era after World War II. There was a period in which in which each generation did a little better than the previous generation. and we we were brought up with the entirely erroneous uh, assumption that that was just destined to continue forever, especially if you were lucky enough to be an American. Uh, but but there's you know it clearly that's in the process of being reversed. Um, I think the question for us is is, as I've said before, um do we manage a kind of a negotiated soft landing? Uh, for the American Empire, or do we have a hard landing? The Brits seem to be uh, doing their darndest to ensure a, <laughs> a hard landing when it comes to Brexit. Um, right. I, I, I'm still waiting for Ed or somebody to explain the politics of this to me. But 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 yeah, I mean, this is this reminds me of our discussion in our last episode about. Um, some of the structural reasons that american democracy is is in a difficult moment um it's it's easier to see the reasons for these slides towards dysfunction Uh, Than it is to reverse the momentum, Um, and and I think that the tragedy of Brexit, obviously, you look at it and you think this is insane. You know, nobody wants this, (laughs) and yet, and yet, the UK is sort of careening towards this awful outcome that nobody wants, because the political dysfunction is such that nobody can stop it. Uh, It's it's crazy, but those things happen. And and I was reading something or other. I I I'd like to. Cite my source, but I can't remember who said it. I was reading some article this morning, um, which quoted a, a commentator uh, uh, talking about Brexit and saying, This is like the run up to World War I, you know, where this sort of slow motion catastrophe unfolds and nobody wants it and everybody thinks it's awful and yet it somehow unstoppably continues. Um, it's a pretty depressing time to live in.
4: But can but- I be optimistic? We don't really know ultimately. I mean, I know it looks like it's going to prevail. But it's not yet a foregone conclusion. Ed, correct me if you vociferously disagree.
3: No, Evelyn, I think you're quite right. I mean, the, the one sort of spark of um, a potential optimism is that the Labour Party conference last week, the uh, opposition spokesman, the Labour Party spokesman on Brexit, who is considered to be uh, a genuine remainer, but because Jeremy Corbyn, the leader, basically isn't, is basically hostile to Europe, he sees it as a capitalist club, has kept has kept, um, 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 kept stum on the issue. He yeah. gave a speech. The speech was approved by the leadership and he, uh, he uh, inveigled in his own words that weren't in the text to say we will have the remain option in any referendum um, yeah. that the Labour Party supports. And he got a standing ovation, complete the whole heart and soul of the Labour Party there at the conference, the annual conference, which is wow. a really big deal. Standing ovation makes it much, much more difficult for Jeremy Corbyn to stick to this ridiculous time warp, 1960s student socialism in one country fantasy that he's got.
0: <laughs> I uh, love. <laughs>
1: well, he's always got he's always got anti semitism to fall and back I'm, on.
0: I want That's to true. Vote for you, right. <laughs>
3: uh, I'm I'm becoming as, no, what's the phrase? Sorry, I've forgotten what the phrase is. Um, I'm becoming as it is to to solicit your vote. Um, I, 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 I hereby accept it.
1: Well, that's, the, the see, folks' history happens here on Deep State Radio on a regular basis. I'm reminded of these maps, you know, that, you know, you look at that are sort of time-lapse maps of Europe or the world where the borders are changing constantly. And every generation thinks that the borders are resolved. And we sort of have to look at the world and wonder which of the borders have been resolved. In the last episode, we talked about um, New Canidornia, um the, uh, the, the successor state to the United States and Canada in 20 years. Um, and in this one, I could just imagine that some point Corey's going to someday say, or Ed will say, you know, I once lived in what is now known as South Scotland. Um, you know, he's
3: he's tired. He's
1: Right, exactly. Uh, so you know, anything is possible. Keep an eye out and keep a pencil next to your maps, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for another excellent discussion here, folks. If you want more like this, go to deepstateradio.network.com. Look at our new content. Read about how you can submit content that we are seeking. New voices that we want. New people writing for this, particularly um, people of color and women and people of the next generation and people from around the world. We want to be the place that you can go and see and hear new perspectives Um, uh, great perspectives like those offered by my colleagues here. And while you're at it, go in, sign up, get a mug, get a discount, help us so that we can grow um, and gradually complete the mission of the deep state, which is global domination, right, Rosa? It's global global domination as the goal. You
2: you betcha, David.
1: Thank you, Um, Rosa. Says every you know, gives us all the the the. Um, the scripts for these things. I liked, by the way. And Rosa, that she
0: did it kind of uh, with a Sarah Palin circa 2008 undercurrent. With the you betcha. What made it especially, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I liked that. But I also liked it when we started seeking these new voices, Rosa started running tweets that said, submit, which I think she'd kind of... Oh my
2: gosh. That was a little that's joke, good, David. That was yeah. just a little pun.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I,
2: but I was uh, pleased to see that I have my very own tropical storm named after me right now, which is oh, prepared to wreak havoc on major parts of uh,
0: uh So well deserved. The uh, question uh, uh, is uh, uh, why uh, uh, did it take so long I know. to name a storm after the Rosa? Because it is so powerful.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure that exactly. I'm sure there have been tropical storms named Ed or Edward. I just know if anybody would be really intimidated by a tropical storm named Corey or Evelyn, though. I just I mean
0: <laughs> Okay, deep state radio
4: yeah. nerds now's oh. a chance to vote on that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well Let's maybe l- we're
4: just more gracious and diplomatic and, you know, pleasing.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I'm sure that
3: a a stiff breeze on the uh, the, the
1: yeah, (laughs) that's that's it.
3: Stiff stiff breeze, Evelyn, and um, sort of gusty, (laughs) gusty bit of wind, Corey.
1: Wow! Wow! (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, California, that's <laughs> fucking sunshine. So that was to, that sounded like Polish. Oh.
1: Oh. 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 Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I would throw the customer
3: away. I Well, I, 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 that's
1: that's 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 it from me Zephyr David Rothkopf. Um uh thank
2: Is uh, that th- your code name, David Zephyr?
1: Zephyr. It was It was Scirocco, but then I changed it to Zephyr. Um, Anyway, go out, look up alternative terms for gusts of wind, and you'll end up back at Trump, just like everything else does. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Uh, And uh, join you again sometime soon here on Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media.